you can't look at the old format they had and really think there's a better way to decide a champion than that, right? Like 11 events, so many different challenges. You got to go all over the world and prove it everywhere. Like that is probably the best way possible to decide who is the best surfer in the world that year, right? Welcome back to The Drop. This is still your interim host, Michael Saramella. Danny Johnson has passed on. No, 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 just kidding. Danny's fine. Um, He'll be back soon, presumably. Uh, Yep, I'm just going to keep saying that until it happens. And in the meantime, Buck and I this week are going to chat about some big news um, from one, the WSL announced its WSL Finals location, along with some other season spot changes. Katie Simmers has decided to turn down her CT spot. She's the first surfer to do so since Taj Burrow all the way back in whenever that was. And then we got to talk about the Vans Triple Crown. There's a lot of stuff going on there, the backdoor shootout. And eventually, Stace and I are going to come on and officially do our rookie review for the 2022 season. There's 14 rookies. We're going to break them all down, and we're going to tell you who's going to make the cut and who is not. The gloves are coming off, and... It's going to be a barn burner. So tune into the drop. Here we go. Miguel, Danny, Michael, Danny Johnson, Sierra Mella. Welcome back. Oh, man. Danny, um, yeah, he's really been struggling. Like, I heard he got out of that pit of quicksand and escaped the cannibals, but then... The some... volcano this week. Yes, the volcano. Tonga. Yep. Yeah, I'm sure everybody saw that. It's big international news. But yeah, he got trapped in that. It wasn't the tsunami, it was the volcano itself. He was out there on a boat and uh, it went off. And yeah, they have like uh, like people out there that could help rescue. But he's good. He's, he'll be back soon. Yeah, soon. Soon, very soon. <laughs> Until then, you want to talk about some news? Oh, I would love that. Let's do it, Miguel. Okay. Top story this week, breaking news, very big deal, very important. The WSL finals venue for 2022 has been announced. It has. It has. And it is shocking news, actually. It, I don't think anybody guessed this because technically it was not within the potential guessing parameters. They really got us off the scent there, didn't they? <laughs> they did. They really did. <laughs> they really did. Without further ado, it is the Surf Ranch. <laughs> yeah i'm kidding it's not it's not it's lowers we're going back we are back to lowers folks wow wow what do you think mikey uh first thought is kind of annoying just because i don't know it's like when you are just expecting one thing and then you're, you're dealt another like you you think you're biting into a piece of pizza and it's a strawberry you're just a little bit like off put because you're confused and your mouth is telling you the wrong things with your brain. So yeah, but that was my initial reaction. Well, I was I was kidding before, but like imagine if they did tell everybody was gonna be at the surf ranch for like a week and just everybody lost their shit and then they'd be like, it's gonna be at lowers. It's okay. Oh, then that would have been you know they soften that a little brilliant. bit. Brilliant like tactic you can do. Absolutely brilliant. I don't know why they didn't do that. That would have like saved them and it would have also like made them feel more in touch with the surfing community. It's like, LOL, we're in on the joke. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Well, I did it for them just now, so <laughs> invoice coming to you, Eric Logan. <laughs> anyway, what what was your other takeaway? What was the, the next reaction you had? It's it's a boring choice, right, ultimately. Like, it, we, it's lowers. You know what you're going to get. 
And also, it's like, there's part of me that feels like it's a bad decision because of how well last year went. Because now that's the precedent, right? Like, that if it's not as good as that, if the waves aren't that pumping and clean all day, if the surfing isn't at that level, then it just feels like a dud, even if it's better than the other option, whatever that other option may have been. So yeah, it's like, like, if Kelly doesn't take any ayahuasca before he goes into the booth, like, it's going to be a lot different. <laughs> yes, precisely. Um, so I don't know. It was an interesting decision, but it also, from a boring logistical sense, makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I back it. I do. I I think you could debate the the format itself all day. Like you can't look at the old format they had and really think there's a better way to decide a champion than that, right? Like eleven events, so many different challenges. You gotta go all over the world and prove it everywhere. Like that is probably the best way possible to decide who is the best surfer in the world that year, right? And this is a risk regardless of where it is. But going back to lowers, I'm I'm gonna say I'm I'm in the if it ain't broken, don't fix it crowd. I agree with you that it did kind of set like a precedent and it's almost like tempting fate now to like if it if the waves suck, but that could happen anywhere, but if the waves suck or if just somehow it doesn't live up to it, then it's really weird. But I don't know. I was I really thought I was gonna go to Indo. I was sold on macaronis. If not macaroni's Lakey Peak, and the WSL is pretty tight-lipped about this. Like they're not going to tell you too much about behind the scenes. But I wonder if it was if it was a logistical thing or if it was really just like a genuine like lowers is so good. Let's repeat it. Like I wonder if they tried for Indo and couldn't get it for some reason. I mean, that's the thing about Indo. You can always get Indo. Things are really difficult to achieve. But if you work the right avenues, you can do pretty much anything you want there. That's been my experience, at least. Yeah. My question is, like, whether it was a business decision in the sense of, like, look at that time zone, right? It's really tough for most Americans. They'd either have to, like, stay up super late or wake up super duper early to watch an event that runs on the other side of the world. And that is still one of their biggest bases. And same with Brazil. Brazil's basically on the same time zone as the U.S. It's another huge base. Australia would probably be fine. But you're still, you're losing, you know, anywhere from 40 to 60% of the people that engage with your content. And that's a big hit, especially when you're coming off the back of the biggest numbers that you've ever seen at Lower Trestles last year. Yeah, biggest ever is pretty wild. I guess it's not, I guess it's a little bit surprising. But then again, like when the waves are cooking, like Chopu that one year, like it's not like the non-super engaged surf fan will even know. Like how would they know that Chopu's bombing? You know, maybe you get enough international press outside of surf, but like even then that might just be like the finals. Like I don't know how I'm interested to see like how how that happens, you know. I guess maybe everybody just heard about it, like, but it's crazy that that was the biggest one and the time zone thing is huge. It was great for me in Europe. It was like started in the evening, ended at a reasonable hour, it was like prime. So maybe that's part of why I like it. But on top of that, I just like it has to be a high performance wave. And but doesn't it also have to have some element of like a real wave? Like lowers just so soft. I don't think it's what anybody would consider high performance surfing these days. Like I mean, granted, what Felipe and Gabriel did out there last year was certainly like elite. But when you come over to Hawaii and you see the types of like turns that people are doing on some of these waves, just the amount of push back that the wave can give to you just allows you to do things that you couldn't do on a slopey four-foot wall that lowers it's a slopey wall 
but it's a slippery slope, my friend. <laughs> we just we're gonna get into the, the Hui backdoor shootout in a little bit, but like think about that event. Ballroom stack beat John John there. They had what six seven hours to serve pipe by themselves. Like when you get into waves where the quality really matters, all of a sudden the quality can override the actual surfing, right? Like mm. Ball is an incredible pipe surfer, but just because he beat John in the shootout doesn't mean he's a better pipe surfer than John. And I feel like it's just a slippery slope. And lowers to me really is like everybody seems to hate wave pools, but other than a wave pool, it does seem to be like the most like kind of level playing field, even ground as you can get. So I'm happy with it. I back it. I just right now there's still like if you go on the site right now, you'll see a story. I interviewed Jesse Miley Dyer, the head of competition for it, and you know they're still keeping some cards close to their chest. But I asked like. So what's the deal? Like, is it going to be at Lowers forever? And they have the three-year deal with Rip Girl. This will be year two in 2022. Doesn't sound like they've really had a call on 2023 yet. I mean, I guess a lot of that will ride on how 2022 Lowers goes. But yeah, I feel like there's probably more riding on this year, right? Like if it went wrong last year, it'd be like, oh, it was an experiment. We're going to grow from here. But like moving backwards with this format, I feel like would really bring the format into question. I guess so. But I also think like, they also have the greatest, I don't want to use the term scapegoat per se, but like Rip Curl as a brand, its whole thing with the search, like that gives them so much leeway to go out and try something unique and crazy and maybe go to a wave that we don't even know about. I'm sure there are plenty of waves out there that exist that would be great for this venue. And I just think that they need to continue taking chances. They took a chance last year, it worked, but I don't think that that means that they can just rest on their laurels and basically do the same thing forever now on. Maybe they're just buying some time here, but I'll take it. I'm into it. Official. I mean, bring it. Bring it to Reunion Island. Bring a little, uh, you know, a little danger, real danger to Ooh, it. Ooh, hey. I mean, I think the top played clip on YouTube for them is the Mick one. So if they want to do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, really get a little trifecta going, <laughs> that could be where all the views are. <laughs> okay, but lowers is not the only announcement they made because. Ultimately, remember, Lowers was on the original CT schedule for this year, for the regular season, and they can't have the finals location the same as a regular season event. So they had to replace that one. And do you know where they're going? Well, yeah, that was actually one rule that they kept. Um, <laughs> El Salvador, Punta Roca. Ooh. As a, as a Central American resident at one point, have you indulged? I haven't. Um, it looks lovely. It just looks playful and occasionally tubular i suppose but more just rippable i think and consistent and it seems like a time of year there too plenty of soft swells yeah absolutely it's basically just a swap for bara you know what i mean and i don't know which wave is better technically i, I would imagine bara has probably a bit more shape depending on the sand punta roca looks maybe a little bit fatter but i don't know i guess it it's it seems like a good enough wave for a ct event i think so too and if you look at that back half of tour right it's it's two lefts two rights and a beach break Beach break in Rio, rights in El Salvador and J-Bay, which I guess El Salvador, you just look at it as like a more playful J-Bay, like probably allow for some more progressive surfing. And then it's G-Land and Chopu, which, Ooh. yeah. <laughs> I'm not even goofy, and that got me all hot and bothered. And another one, actually, we should talk about is every result counts. You drop one before the mid-year cutoff, and then after that cutoff, every single result counts and you don't drop anything so it's it's i'm excited 
Yeah, I guess that definitely helps out Yago, who's injured, mm. and Ryan Callanan, who potentially might miss Pipeline as well with a broken wrist. He's still tentative at this time, but I know that Jordy Lawler has already got a flight over here, so he is uh, pretty much ready to go in case that Ryan doesn't show up. Wow, as he should be. Go, Jordy. <laughs> it could be his year. <laughs> Katie Simmers turns down spot on 2022 WSL Championship Tour. Yes. Um, I mean, you could go all the way back to when she won the U.S. Open and she said she wasn't trying to qualify. That was Which probably a pretty good indicator. was hilarious, by the way. <laughs> what a thing to say after winning a major competition. Like, oh, this was kind of by accident. Yeah, just spitting in the face of every other competitor. <laughs> <laughs> That's just how good she is, though, right? Yes. I mean, unbelievable talent. Um, but that being said, and obviously the comparison would be back to Taj, also a super talent. It's just a good decision. It's it's a smart, mature decision from a 16-year-old who is oozing with ability, but who, one, probably wants to work on some other parts of her surfing before she goes and puts herself up against the world's best, and two, also probably just wants to beat a kid for a little bit longer. Like, somebody like Katie could be on tour till she's 35, and like, do you really want to basically cut off the last few years of your like true childhood and freedom to go do the same thing for that same like period of your life another 17 years like i don't know yeah i think it's just really smart from her me too i mean it's not like it's a once in a lifetime thing for her like no. she can qualify she proved this year that like it's not she qualified by accident so when you qualify by accident i'm pretty sure you can qualify on purpose pretty easily and so i agree i think it's the right move i like that because the dane reynolds comparison was always there and i think it's valid but now i like that we're now that like Taj is, you know, the only other person to deny a spot on tour like this. Now that that comparison exists, I'm like starting to see more elements of Taj in her surfing. Some of the little, mm. little bits here and there. Dane is more, more of an apt comparison, I think. But I like getting a little Taj in the mix there too. And it's a great call. And I, she dropped an edit from the North Shore recently. A self-edit. An auto-edit. An auto-edit. Dane comparison there. <laughs> <laughs> and it sounds like she's going to do more of that next year, or this year, 2022. And I back that too, because that to me is something that's missing in women's surfing. Somebody that's really out there trying to put together sick parts consistently. Mm, Jaleesa put out a great one this year as well that was like similar. It felt like her. It felt like her own creation. And it was really cool. And it did really well on our Stab Surfer of the Year polls in like the top three edits of the year. Yeah, I love that. And I think more of that is so cool. And I think Katie, especially being so young, supplying more of that is just an awesome thing for surfing. The WSL can wait for now. Let, uh, Let's just let Steph beat Lane Beachley next year and take that. And then, you know, Katie can come on and start winning a little bit. Respect the Bonsai Pipeline. This is another episode of The Pickup by Stab and Vans. By the time you're listening, we might even have a new one out. A new one's dropping this Tuesday, 6 p.m. California time. So keep an eye out for that. But... We are getting towards the end of the Triple Crown, which is what this show is all about. We're going to have winners soon, aren't we? Yeah, we are. Um, I think the final day of submissions is this coming Friday, and winners will be announced the following Saturday or Sunday. So we're going to know, yeah, by basically the next podcast, uh, who our Triple Crown champions are. And um, there's been a bit of a shakeup on the leaderboard. I don't know if you noticed this, but... um, Basically, going into last week, John John Florence was in the lead of the men's, 
and Coco Ho was in the lead of the women's, and now John has dropped all the way down to fifth place. He got overtaken by Koa Smith, Emai Kalani DeVault, Billy Kemper, and the new Vans Triple Crown leader, Baron Mamiya. Granted, there is a bit of a caveat. John still only uploaded his two waves from backdoor, and we have seen him absolutely ripping at Haliva and Sunset, and even surfing backdoor on a single fin this week, which will presumably count as his progressive craft wave. So it looks like he's got some big waves in his pocket, but he's not wanting to show them. Is this like a, a tactic, do you think, like a strategy? Well, first of all, it's been a tough triple crown for Johns. I mean, we had Van Hooverstein in the beginning, who also dropped down from the leaderboard. But as far as Mr. Florence goes, my theory is that he ran out of uh, internet at his house after uploading his latest edit form, and Ooh. so he hasn't been able to upload his clips yet. Because, as you said, we know he's we know we've seen it. Like we, it's not that we just hear things. You and I have been in the water watching John John <laughs> just go absolutely nuts, including that morning on backdoor or on a single fin at backdoor, and so we know he's sitting on something. Um, hasn't that been really cool, by the way? Like, we have had a few sessions where, like, John's just in the water. And seeing how people interact with him in the water here is insane. Like, we were out at sunset that day, and it was really, it was pretty fun sunset. And all of a sudden, like, more and more kind of CT people started showing up and trying to warm up because they'll have the comp there in about a month. And they still gave John and Ivan so much space. Like, it's one thing at Pipe, like, you know they're going to give them the space, but at sunset, there's probably 20 feet between him and Ivan and every other person, including Kolohe, Carissa, Jake Marshall, Luca Messinas. All these people were just like, oh, I'm not going to go near you, John. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, the same thing happens at Pipe, granted, in a smaller space, but, like, he sits there at the top of the peak for however long it takes. And then when that wave comes that he sees and he wants... The waters literally part. Like, it's like a joke. Like, nobody even pretends to think, like, oh, I'm going to, like, sneak inside or turn around or... I swear nobody even, like, looks at the left. It's like, this is John's wave. Either direction he's going. Like, it's just... Yeah, and it's it's awesome. And it's, like, it's kind of unfair in this way where it's like, God, like, he just... He's the best surfer. And then he also just commands the best waves by the nature of his ability and also how respectful he is despite the fact that he doesn't really have to be like he could be more of a like a job type right who just paddles out three minutes in turns around on the first wave that comes and then paddles back out and does it again like he could do that if he wanted to but he doesn't he's like really respectful about the lineup but when that wave comes it's his and everybody knows it and it's really cool i feel like a lot of people myself included are just like grateful to even just like look at the wave he's choosing it's like you're just studying you're like okay why is he like this one so much you yeah. know it's like it's incredible, though. It's incredible, and we know he's sitting on some, but we do have a swell coming this week. We do have a swell coming between now and the end of the waiting period for submitting clips, so things can still shake up. Like, yeah. It looks like a swell where all three waves could work. Absolutely. Crosby Colapinto has got some serious, serious waves at Backdoor and Haleiva. He um, actually just got another one like two nights ago 
after the end of the backdoor shootout where he crisscrossed over this guy that burned him and still got super barreled and it was insane. Last week he got a huge score at backdoor and actually got the Vans crown clip, which is basically the clip of the week for the Vans triple crown. Um, and he also dropped some hammers at Haleiwa. So he's another person who like a little bit underground, but if you're here on the ground in Hawaii, you notice that he's the one that's out there early morning late night anytime there's like a little window and especially when the waves are like big like he almost doesn't even care when the waves are kind of that mid fun size where like a lot of us get excited to go surf <laughs> he's like ah eh, that's not for me i go out when it's like a little too big and there might be a crazy one and he finds himself on it more often than not so yeah there's a there's a lot of underdog stories like that as well who it's really fun to watch guys like that yeah he's had a hell of a year like it seems like he's gotten some crazy crazy waves like of all the people that I don't know. Every year there's somebody that just like stands out, and or somebody that's kind of rising to the top. That's like un, like everybody knows John's gonna go nuts, you know. But like Crosby this year, it seems like oh my god, this kid is the real deal. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like John gets the really perfect waves, as we said. Crosby doesn't have that, you know, not ability, but like within the the constructs of the hierarchy <laughs> of the lineup, he doesn't have that ability. So he has to go on the really ugly ones that other people don't want, and he, he ends up getting ones that are even more like crazy than John's if that makes sense like John's waves are yeah more perfect and long and whatever but he just gets the psycho double up mutant things that end up looking insane I hope John John just gets jealous one day just starts making ugly waves look good (laughs) I think he probably will I think everybody would like that too that means they get good ones (laughs) and then on the women's side Carissa Moore just kind of unloaded last week dropped a ton of clips in her Vans Triple Crown thing and took a huge lead Kind of mirroring her stab surfer of the year lead at the moment, <laughs> yeah, which her is world title, her stab surfer of the year, yeah, just everything. Um, she had it. She had a decent year this year. So um, yeah, she's looking really good. But I also saw Betty Lou Sakura Johnson just drop some pretty crazy waves at Haleiwa and a couple little ones at Backdoor from the other day. I'm hoping that like those will be decent scores. But I'm hoping that what they do is give her the confidence to be like, oh, I can do this. Like it's not a big deal, and go out and get a proper six footer. And then she could actually be in contention. Um, so, yeah, still some room to move in the women's. Chris is looking pretty solid, but it is open. Let's see it. More waves on the way. Surfing progressed at the Dahui Backdoor Shootout. What an event. That was the first time I've ever been here for the Dahui Backdoor Shootout. And it's hard to even describe. There's a lot of rules and or lack of rules it's a bit of a chaotic event and i think that's what makes it so beautiful if they did have a rule book it would be incredible because for every rule there'd be like 13 addendums (laughs) in like the appendix (laughs) like in the case of this this does not apply it really would it'd be a long they'd need a lot of legal language to sort that one (laughs) um but yeah anyway great event scores can go up to 12 scores are not locked in ever ever at all they could just change them whenever they want and i've always thought that was like because you can tell when wsl judges are doing that at the end of a heat when they just want to get the result of the heat right and somebody's getting a higher score or lower score than normal and why not like it, it happens anyway right like people that is in effect like recognizing that you went too low or too high on a score and adjusting it so like those adjustments already happen why not with a format like the dehui which has four days to run over a span of 10 i believe why not just kind of review them all the time and see if uh, if 
if it was if you got caught up in a moment, you know? Yeah, you almost have to. Um, like I know, like for instance, Mason won, right? And he had a wave in his last heat that pushed him into that number one spot. In my mind, that wave wasn't quite as good as one of the ones he'd had on one of the prior days. But maybe the judges even see that and they think back and they're like, oh, like we probably should have gone higher on that one earlier. This was like good enough to justify it. So here it is. This is it. You win. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in in the next few years, I feel like maybe they shouldn't even have scores unless it's like the perfect 12 and just declare a winner. Like, don't don't keep track of anything at all and just tell (laughs) Derek Freddy who won at the end. Yeah. But... This year that was Mason Ho, like you said, that was Team Snapped, and then that was Kala Grace and Bethany Hamilton for the Charger of the Event Award, and holy shit, those two. Yeah, I mean, Bethany earned it every single time she paddled out. She was taking off on second, I mean, the one second reef wave that I'm sure you've seen photos or videos of on Instagram, like, I don't even want to like go there, but like getting going on that wave to begin with, and then seeing that thing like chipping and rolling over itself like that far in front of you, like most people would have just straightened out right there. And she did not care at all. She went under and around it, and then pulled into this absolute cavern that just backdrafted her into the freaking metaverse, and popped up and did it again five more times that day, and the next day, and the next day, and then Kala Grace. I mean, you saw that wave. Yeah, perfect 12. Could have been a 15. I'm surprised they didn't go 15. <laughs> yeah, that was one of those pipe waves that, like, doesn't happen all the time. Like, on a day where it's pumping, you see so many incredible just, like, spitting TPs. But this thing had some, like, length on it. And it literally, it wasn't, like, one big lip that fell and blew its brains out. It spit the entire time. Like, it was just the shape of the wave, the way it hit the reef. It was... Uh, just an absolute dream like i imagine you couldn't even see anything the entire time it was all feeling which is like not great for a photo but the what he would have felt in there would have been like the peak of human existence oh for sure and bethany too just imagine like getting into that thing and just seeing what it's about to do and scooping like the vision in there would have been so fucked up like that to me was one of the coolest things i've ever seen in surfing like like without a doubt i think that was historic like this was the first year that the shootout had an all-female team. Women have been involved in the past, but never all together on a team. And we've talked about it, but what makes this event different is with the team format, you surf with your team. And so that just really is a better vibe to go out and surf. You're not competing directly about against somebody. They're not, you know, jockeying for position. There is some of that from what I understand. Like there's still, you know, unspoken hierarchies and <laughs> Everybody still wants to win on their own, but it's not like serving a heat directly against one other person or three other people. And the the female team really stepped up. It was the WSL team, Manohine they were called, and Bethany, Bianca Valenti, Kayla Kennelly, and Moana Wong went nuts. Like, that was so sick. That was my favorite part of the contest. Yeah, and I mean, they all charged, but Moana... God, she knows how to surf pipeline. Like, she knows how to pick the waves, she knows how to take off, and she certainly knows what to do when she gets in the tube. So, I mean, she was by far, like, if it's, like, top performer, her by a mile. Yeah. But the way that Bethany did what she did, I mean, yeah, that's, like, a different... It's, like, a different thing, really. Like, one is just pure heart, and the other one is, like, somebody who is so laser-focused and attuned to that wave, and she's the one that's, like, 
they're both pushing female surfing forward in that space, but the girls are going to be looking at Moana for like what you should do and to Bethany for like, oh, I want to be on one of those waves one day. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And Moana's got a wild card into the the upcoming Pipe Pro, which good luck to anybody who draws her. Yeah, if there's any sort of west in the water, uh, good night. Good night, folks. Yeah. And uh, I guess we should mention that on the team side, it was snapped for winning, Volcom in second, and who got third again? Dehui! <laughs> must, must have been Dehui. <laughs> Dehui, Japan, Dehui, some Dehui. A Hui. Not a the bad Hui's. You say that. <laughs> All your heroes follow me. All right, folks, this is a quick one. We'll do a little recap on some of the stories that we've got on Stab Premium right now. The title I just read out is about a gentleman named Aki's Toilet. You may follow him on Instagram, who is just one of those nostalgic accounts there. They just, you know, pretty simple formula. Find some old surf mags, post photos of it, have a little voice in your captions and see how it goes. I never knew really why people do that. He explained it in a very nice way and basically let it out that he just now talks to like all of his favorite surfers because he's pretty much just posting photos of them and they're happy. They're like, Oh, this guy's make me look good. So there's like reply to him. If he posts a story or something and then just conversations ensue. So this guy just chats to Kelly like regularly now. And he kind of wrote a story a little bit about that, a little bit about the nostalgia thing in general. And it's fascinating. Go check it out. While you're there, go check out the stab surfer of the year. We will be crowning champions this week. Um, Chris, we get a crown. <laughs> she just, just, she just sprinted away with it. But the men's is still a race. The edit of the year is still a race. The juniors, the movie, so a lot of news to be breaking there. And uh, another one, check out a surf parenting piece by Paul Evans. And if you don't laugh, I'll give you your money back on premium. Oh, ooh, big call. Yeah, no, hit me up right at the annual cliff as well. Oh yeah, I'm, I'm. <laughs> Putting it out there. Let's go. <laughs> speaking of Aki, speaking of Slater, we have got some juice for you here, folks. We have got a Slater story and a surf sin. We obviously know the one involves uh, Kelly. It's a Slater story. But the surf sin does involve a certain mark. And so let's start with Slates, and then we'll go into the sin time. Let's do it. <laughs> Hey, Michael. So here's my Kelly story. And yes, this exactly happened on the other side of a bar in France. The story is actually about a friend, a very A-type friend who likes to control everything. Let's call him Paul. He also was a huge Kelly fan. Shave head, Kelly posters, Kelly game on PlayStation, Al Merrick, Quickie Gear, the full deal, uh, the whole nine yards, the real A-type person, not a bad surfer, Another total kook, but way into it. So here we are, circa 2005, at the very end of the Quickie Pro. Kelly just lost the contest and maybe the world title and relaxing with everyone. The bimbos, the pros, and the locals. Typical scene in Hasegore, Place de Londres. Among the locals are us. My friend, let's call him Paul. A lady friend in her early 20s, tall, tan, and blonde. Let's call her Cecile and myself. As we're having beers, Kelly comes by, Paul asks for a pic, and the goat answers. 
Not right now. I'm relaxing. If I say yes, everyone will ask for one and my night is done. Paul is bummed. No to a pick? Anyway, the night goes on. Fast forward an hour or two. Kelly comes back in our vicinity. This time, Paul asks our lady friend for the pick. She obliged and surprised. The goat says yes. Is it the timing? Is it the looks? Who cares? It's picture time. But Paul can take it. The alcohol has been brewing in him. So he goes to Kelly and says, Why did you say yes to her and not to me? Kelly turns red immediately and roasts him. I'm far from the scene, but I can see that KS is not having it. Cecile comes back blushing and laughing and give us the real story. Kelly roasted him all right, telling among other things that he speaks fucking too much. And much more that got lost among English knowledge of Cecile and this story. Paul is mad, big mad, but now we are now all roasting him and he's hearing it all night. You speak fucking too much. Oh, he heard this for years. The next week, gone are the posters and the shave head. The Merrick are still here 15 years later, but, but most importantly, the story as well. So thank you, Goat, for the laugh, among other things, and happy birthday. All right, we teased that one before. And first of all, I've lived in France for five years and wonderful English, this gentleman, wonderful. Um, I wonder how his buddy's English was because Kelly didn't seem to like it so much. No, he did not. Um, I guess he liked his friend a bit more. Um, Camille, was that her name? She sounded wonderful. She sounded lovely. She sounded wonderful. Yeah. And, you know, where do you stand on this? What's, what's, your, what's your overall take? Is Kelly in the wrong because, you know, maybe he was a little bit rude to this guy. Maybe he called him out in front of his friends. Maybe his friends still make fun of him to this day and use that exact phrase that Kelly used to make fun of him to this day. Exactly or, what it sounds like. <laughs> or, or, is this guy not respecting the GOAT's time and space when he clearly, he was just coming off a big loss. Anybody who's seen like Letting Go, they know exactly how Kelly was feeling after that event. It was not good, and he just wanted to go to the bar, unwind, have a couple drinks, and probably not deal with the incredible fandom that he deals with 365 days a year. Unless it was from Camille. Well, Camille's special. She was very special. I think... So I think it's just funny. I don't see really uh, a major sin here. Like, if you're a surf fan and you saw Kelly, you'd get pretty excited. If you denied you once for a picture i wouldn't maybe go back but but imagine, but keep in mind that this guy is not just like a kelly fan he's this, a super fan he's a super fan he had a shaved head he had all almerics quicksilver gear like this guy literally wanted to be kelly slater he embodied kelly slater in every way that he could like physically manifest in his life but if you listen closely he says that the merricks stuck around if I think he really dropped it there because he just couldn't get off Merrick's. I think he wanted to, but he loved them because he would have switched to Slater Designs if he had the fandom still going. But he's still on the Merrick's. So this this guy's scarred for sure. Absolutely. He's scarred. And to me, the absolute best thing in this entire story is that he grew his hair back out. Because that means that he had that ability all along. It wasn't like he was just kind of like balding like Kelly. Like he truly committed to like wanting to look like Kelly to the point that he shaved off his hair, which for most men does not aid in any sort of attractiveness or 
success in life, you could say. Well, I guess Jeff Bezos is bald, but... He does all right. Yeah, he does all right. Um, but still, like, he grew his hair back out. Like, that was how committed he was. He was shaving his head because of Kelly, and no longer. I know, which I love that, though. I did love that he went full commitment, and, like, it wasn't this guy, I don't think, but I remember hearing about a guy that, he was Spanish, actually, but not too far from, like, where Hasegor is, just across the border, 45, 45 50 minutes away. And he, like, really was doing the Kelly thing, too. Like, shaved head, always in the quick wet suits, always on the CI. But I don't think it's him, because I don't think his name was Paul, and I'm almost certain this guy was Spanish. And so I almost wonder if, like, if we used to have more Slaters walking this earth. Yeah, is there, like, a cult of Kellys? Just, like, (laughs) they're, like, a secret club that we don't know about, and they just, like, meet kind of secretly throughout the year in like various kelly places like they go to coco beach maybe they go to france maybe they go to barbados and they just they have it's club kelly imagine that imagine like if you paddle out and just like 10 15 (laughs) kelly's if you're in this club folks please please Please. submit a story please we are begging we are begging and also where do you where do you sign up yeah I, i might be down Buck, Buck, get the razor. All right. It's surfs in time. Woo! Favorite time of the week. It is the best time of the week. It's a healing time. It's a spiritual time. It's a sacred time. And it's time to talk about Mark Acalupo. Mm. Let's hear from one. This is, uh, as all surfs are interesting, this one... This one is as well. It's hard to kind of pinpoint. It, it, it really poses like a, a moral dilemma. So let's get into it and let's break it down. Danny and Buck, what's up? It's Jordan. So it would have been five, six years ago. I'm surfing Snapper Rainbow and I've managed to snag one of these little inside double up drainers that come through at the start of Little Marley. And, you know, they're these ones that you take off and you're pretty much guaranteed to get tubed. Anyway, I've been going for a while. It's getting towards the end of the wave. Um, And I spot someone, you know, paddling in for it. It turns out it's no other than Oki. I yell out. I'm like, no, Oki, no. To which he pays me no mind. And, uh, you know, just, just does a little bottom turn, does a snap and then kicks off. But before he does, I've like come out, just doggy doored it and kind of pulled it up the side of him and given him the big finger because he hasn't, you know, taken any notice. Um, so I'm kind of left just a little bit baffled, just like wondering why he's faded me at the end of this wave. Um, so I just want to know if I'm in the wrong for giving Oki the finger or, you know, is his justice or injustice served immediately? Um, yeah, give me your penance. Oh. Also, a little side note, is it just me or is it every time one of these Coastal Watch recap video comes out from like a, you know, like a cooling out of swell, um, you know, if you if you watch the start of any of Oki's waves, he's burnt someone to get it. Anyway, that's just a little side bite for you. Peace. See, it's another one of those ones where... It's like, am I the sinner? Is this person the sinner? We get a lot of these. Yeah, this is like, I mean, this is a, a tactic, right? Like, kind of to protect your own sense of self. Yeah. Like, people choose to share the sins where, you know, oh, well, maybe that guy was in the wrong. Like, I don't want to feel like this is, I'm not fully culpable. 
Yeah, yeah, but I mean, forgiveness. You got to forgive. That's a that's a virtue, I believe. And so, a lot of these things they come. Yeah, somebody was wrong, and then I did this because I got wrong. Is, am I the sinner? Or are they? Well, you didn't forgive them, so you're the sinner. And this is flipping off Aki is a hundred percent a sin in my book. You cannot flip off Aki. Well, you can. It's kind of funny, but it's a sin. Sometimes sinning's funny. <laughs> okay. Well, let's start with Aki. Did Aki sin? Did does Aki sin every time that he drops in on a random person at Snapper Rocks? Anywhere between, let's say, Snapper and Burley. Uh, see, the only thing that complicates this one for me, like if it was up the top of the point, then I'd almost say no. I'd be like, uh, it's Aki. Like he's gonna go. It's on you for thinking he's not. He's the fucking raging bull. He's going. Um, but I've always found it, like, the weirdest thing is when somebody gets burned towards the end of a wave. Like, when it's mm. it's super insignificant. And that seems to be what happened here, which always does my head in. Like, I get it if you're just, like, stealing a wave from somebody. It's a good wave and it's, you're in a good spot. But, yeah, at the end of a wave, I do feel like that can often be a little bit of a fuck you. But then again, I don't really think Aki was like looking at this guy. I was like, you know what? I'm gonna show you something. And plus, no Aki, no could sound to him like go Aki, go. I did hear a story this week that kind of reminded me of this a little bit. So I was talking to Mason um, kind of throughout the event, and he was saying that you know the backdoor shootout's been going on for a really long time. And as you said, you know it's it's four people get the entire lineup to themselves. But of course, there are some people around you know, the North Shore who have that sort of legend status that Aki does uh, in the Snapper Rocks region. And of course, those people, generally speaking, have the last name Ho. So he said that, you know, my dad, Mike, and Derek used to like surf in this event, like they used to be competitors. But then once they got kind of past that point, they would get down and they'd see that pipe was pumping and there are four guys out. And like, they're like, I'm going out. Of course, I'm going out. So he said that Derek would basically like kind of like pick a team that either maybe he like knew the people really well and it would be cool or maybe he like didn't know them at all and just, you know, I'm Derek Ho, I'm going to go out. So <laughs> who's going to say no to that? Really? Exactly. So Derek would go out and he would go and sit there and he would either, I don't know if he would be talking with the people or whatever. Apparently the jet skis would go over and be like, "Hey, Uncle D, you think maybe?" And he's like, "Nah." <laughs> <laughs> and uh yeah, so and but Mason said that for the most part he would be respectful. He would let the team get like the good waves that they wanted or whatever, and he would either get a wave toward the back end of a set when all of them had already cleared out, or he would get kind of the wide ones or the ones that they didn't really need for their score line. So I think this is kind of like in that Aki has that same similar status. Like I wouldn't wouldn't be shocked if he paddled out at the Challenger Series event at Snapper next year or this year actually, in a few months and just you know caught a couple waves on the inside, right? And yeah, it w it wouldn't be shocking, and I don't think the WSL should should disallow that. No, what are they going to do? That's bad press. You don't want to. That's terrible press. You don't want to get Aki in trouble. No. So I think that I think that what Aki did like. It's probably, yeah, it's a bit gratuitous dropping in on somebody at the end of the wave, but at the end of the day, he's kind of, like, just earned this this legend status, and, and I think that that's fine. Like, if that's what he wants to do with the rest of his life, he's earned that right. Yeah. So, I do think the middle finger is a sin, even though Parko did it to Kelly that one time. That's really true. Never never forget. Yep. Never forget. Now, was Parko, so that's, that's a really interesting one, because Parko then has local status. Kelly has goat status. Where do those things converge? Well, that's a, that's a question for the deeper theological literature here. <laughs> um, for now, let's just focus on the sin. 
Your penance, according to me, is to buy Aki a bracelet. He strikes me as the type who would wear a bracelet, and I don't think he'd be the hardest person to find. It seems like just go, Kulangat is a small town, just go surf one day, maybe you'll see him. If not, just go get a pie after. Like You're going to see Aki eventually. You're, you'll bump into you him. You can't miss him. So just have, yeah, you're going to see it. Like When he's there, you're going to see him immediately. And so I think just buy him a bracelet and give it to him. Uh, if he doesn't wear it, that's his choice. But I think that just to free yourself from this guilt, you have to buy him. I was thinking a pie originally, but now I'm thinking bracelet because I really do think that there's a good chance that Aki would be like, this is pretty cool. Like you a know? like a friendship bracelet? Like does it have like little like the little letters on it that like says like best friends forever? Like how what kind no, of bracelet? Just whatever you think Aki would wear. Like he'd probably look at it and be like, Oh, Billabong doesn't make bracelets. Like this is really cool, thank you. And okay. so whatever you think he'd actually wear is okay. is what I'm thinking you should get. Well that's it's interesting you say that because I my penance also involves buying Aki something. Mm. But it actually goes back to the story that you talked about. All Your Heroes Follow Me, written by Aki's Toilet, who basically based his entire account around Aki. And he ends his story in a really nice way. He says, So get to your parents' basement and find those old magazines. The surf world needs you, and maybe you, too, can be followed by your heroes. Unless your hero is Aki. Then your hero won't follow you. He won't repost or DM or have any idea that you exist. Not because he's a dick, though. He just hasn't figured those things out yet. And it's beautiful. And I thought that on this sort of same vein, what you need to do is buy Aki some cryptocurrency and just Ooh. put it in a digital wallet for him. And maybe maybe it's just $50, right? That $50 today is going to be worth, who knows, maybe two grand by the time Aki figures it out. And so you're going you're gonna to keep this digital wallet for him. You'll keep it safe. You'll let him know that you have it and just say, Aki, when you figure out what Bitcoin and Ethereum are, come back to me. And I will give this to you. And it's going to be worth a lot of money. I like that a lot. He's There's that thing that people say that he's never opened an email or that he just doesn't, he's never been able to figure that out. I think maybe it came out in the Occast once where he's just like, I don't, I don't do email. I never, I don't know what it is really. What a beautiful man. I know. And so I like this a lot. And then to have, Aki's probably the only person in the world that could get me in on that stuff. <laughs> Crypto and NFTs. If Aki could lay it out for me, then I'm in. <laughs> so let's do that. Let's get that one going. All right. There you go. Buy Aki some Bitcoin, put it in a wallet, and save it for later. The world will be a better place. Thank you, as always, for sharing your surf sins and your Kelly stories. We love hearing both. We love talking about them. We love delivering penances. And most of all, we just love hearing that you guys are into what we're doing and you love being part of this podcast. So please... Share your Kelly stories, share your surf sins, send them to myself, Michael at RollingYouth.com, send them to Buck, Buck at RollingYouth.com, and send them to Danny. He might get them after the volcano subsides. Um, next up, we are going to go straight into the stab cusp, which is, of course, the currently untitled surf podcast. And Stacey and I are going to discuss our rookie picks for the 2022 season. I'm also going to reveal to him the WSL news that he has not heard yet. So you're going to get a blind reaction from Stace, how he feels about lowers coming on as the WSL finals venue. And yeah, let's just go straight in.
All right, and welcome back to the Stab Cusp. That is the currently untitled Surf Podcast. I am Michael Saramella, joined here by my co-host, Stace Galbraith. Stace, how are you doing, brother? Mikey C, I'm doing well, you Hawaiian tube pig. All right, well, we have some big, big, big news to talk about today uh, in the WSL world. Actually, two things. Um, one came out earlier this week, which is that Katie Simmers will not be taking her spot on the CT. And you know what that means. Molly Picklum is going to Picklum that spot right up and, and slide on in despite missing the cut on the Challenger Series by not even one point. That is phenomenal news for Australian surf fans because uh, as much as I love how Katie Simmers surfs, um, you know, as an Aussie, I think uh, Molly Picklum's definitely one of our brightest young stars. So, um, yeah, a lot to lot to break down there, actually. Uh, I think it's a great call from Katie. I think uh, this year would be one of the trickiest years to be a rookie. It's almost like, particularly with the women's tour, they've, they've hyped up a lot of progression and a lot of... Uh, exciting surfing, but I think to stay on tour this first year, you're going to need to show that kind of old school raw power. And, um, you know, I think Katie's still obviously very, very young and got some growing to do, so I think it's it's a great yeah, call. Yeah, and um, I guess we'll get into a little bit later how we think Molly might fare on that big girls tour. But before we do that, um, I'm not even sure if you know this yet, but the WSL is releasing it's WSL Finals location and the fact that they are going to make a schedule change on the regular season. Um, are you across any of this yet? I am not across any of this yet, Mikey. I'm, uh, I'm always relying on you for my insider source. You're going to have to surprise yeah, me. Yeah, well, I am going to surprise you because it's actually a trick question. Um, and in the sense that the WSL said that the WSL Finals location would be at an event that is not on the regular season schedule. Technically, they're sticking to that rule, but what they've done is they've rearranged it so that one of the spots that was on the regular season is being moved to the finals location and that regular season slot is being taken. So with that in mind, do you have another guess? Which of the 10 spots that you knew were on tour this year might be the finals location? I would love to see it at Chokes. I think that might uh, might be a little too close to the to the Olympic venue. Um, ah! so they've, they've gone in a different direction while also going in the same exact direction that they went last year. It's back at Lower Trestles. Yeah, right. Um, I don't sense much enthusiasm in your tone. I think I've said it a few times. I'm pretty tongue for a big heaving left to decide a world champ. Uh, mainly because I grew up watching that and a big heaving right. Maybe Philippe can do it this year. <laughs> wow, that's a backhanded compliment if I've ever heard one. How is that a backhanded compliment? He's the best surfer in the world out there. He just couldn't get it done last year. Uh, I think he wholeheartedly deserves a world title. I would love to see him win a world title. I think I would too. Um, so anyway, that's it. It is, I will say, maybe a little bit anticlimactic. I think a lot of people were looking forward to, if not a particular type of venue like you, then at least a different venue, somewhere new that we maybe haven't seen yet. Um, but yeah, it's back to lowers, which, I mean, on one hand, you can't knock them. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. They, they did pretty darn well with lowers last year. Um, 
at the same time, you could argue that they're maybe shooting themselves in the foot because of how well it went, and it's going to be hard to compare to that, potentially. But it also makes sense in a lot of different ways. It's it's near their headquarters. It's a good time zone. The waves are guaranteed to be, at the very least, fun in that window. Um, and, yeah, you're going to get good surfing. So it's not the most exciting decision. It's a pretty logical decision, but that's that's where we are. But first we got to get through that first half of the year. And right now, we've been talking about rookies and how we wanted to do a rookie review. Now's our time. Let's go straight in to the Met. I think at this point, what we want to do is basically give a brief introduction to the 14 new surfers that are coming on tour. And then we are each going to basically decide if they are going to make the mid-year cut or not. And that's another factor in this is these rookies, they don't get a full year. For the first time since 2010, the WSL is implementing a mid-year cut, which means that after event five, the bottom 12 men and bottom six women will fall off the tour. And that's a pretty big thing to come into. Like, I mean, not only are they going to have to get over kind of, you know, the, the CT jitters of coming on and competing against their heroes and also kind of like learning these new waves that they maybe haven't spent this much time on um, and also the lower seeds that they're inevitably going to start at. But now they have this deadline of five events where they have to get enough points to get within the top 24 for men and top 12 for women to even see the back half of the year and to qualify for the 2023 World Tour. So yeah, there's a, there's a lot of pressure. Um, so I think it's going to be largely mental almost like which rookies are able to able to overcome that sort of mental barrier yeah definitely uh i also think there's a an element to it that experience with the way that the calendar is just can't be matched there's you know three or maybe four of these waves that they're going to start the year with that experience just counts for so much so it's going to be interesting to see uh, who's done their homework in their prior years, particularly in Hawaii, uh, who didn't go home straight away after the QS, who stayed. And I'm not just talking about this year, I'm talking about ever since they've been traveling there, um, particularly for a lot of surfers, once they finish up the QS season, they generally want to go straight home. But if you ever do see yourself on tour one day, the smart thing to do is to stay kiss your loved ones goodbye and surf pipeline on Christmas day. And there's a few people that have done that. And I think there's a fair few that haven't. So I think it's really going to show once this season gets started. Yeah. All right. So without further ado, let's introduce the 2022 rookie CT class. So I'm going to go in order uh, in which they qualified or in which they kind of like scored on the challenger series. So on the men's side, we have 22, two-year-old Liam O'Brien from Australia. We have 23-year-old Jake Marshall from the United States of America. We have 21-year-old Callum Robson from Australia. We have 21-year-old Samuel Pupo from Brazil. We have 24-year-old Imai Kalani Devault from Hawaii. 25-year-old Luca Messinas from Peru. 21-year-old Joao Chianca from Brazil. 24-year-old Jackson Baker from Australia. And 28-year-old Carlos Munoz from Costa Rica. Um, yeah, what do you think about that list? And what do you think about that uh, age range? It's pretty much an average of like 24 years old, I think. Yeah, it's great. Uh, I wouldn't say young faces, though. You know, like 21 doesn't seem that young anymore. I don't know. Don't you reckon? Well, it does, but it doesn't. Like, 
there are the kind of superstars, right, that come on at 17, 18, and it's been that way for a really long time. But it's kind of like if you're not quite in that superstar class, I feel like 21 is really that next age where you're kind of old enough and developed enough to make the CT. And that's why I think we saw the juniors go back to 21. That's like the oldest limit now in the juniors because it allows those, I don't want to say second tier because they're so fucking good still, but like just not quite the Medinas and Johns and Felipe's of the world uh, to develop a little bit more. For now, though, let's get through the women or a lot of them are not technically women yet, which is pretty crazy. But first up, we have 19-year-old Gabriella Bryan from Hawaii. Then we have 17-year-old Betty Lucicura Johnson from Hawaii, 21-year-old India Robinson from Australia, and 17-year-old Luana Silva from Hawaii. Um, God, it is pretty wild, the age difference. Between and, and it kind of always has been. It's so next level how young the um, women get on tour. It's... Um it's mind-blowing like they're all still in high school or just finished um basically you know except for india who's obviously 21 um again starting in hawaii it's you definitely go from big fish small pond to tiny fish (laughs) ocean absolutely so that is our list. That is our group. Congratulations again to all of them for just already achieving what they've achieved. Um, but now shit's about to get real. The first event of the year, Pipeline, starts on January 29th. That's in just really a little bit over a week or two. Um, and Swell's been pulsing. I hope it continues to do so. And if so, we're going to see a pretty crazy showdown for their first event ever as a CT surfer. As we said, mid-year cut is coming up after the first five events. So we got Pipeline. Sunset, Super Tubos, Bells, and Margaret River. All pretty substantial waves, like waves that are powerful in one way or another. Some of them are shallow powerful, like Pipe and Super Tubos. The other ones are kind of deep powerful, like Bells, Margaret's, and Sunset. (laughs) Uh, So yeah, it, it takes a range of skills, but I think it's also a certain type of surfer that will excel in these waves. So... Um, do you want to just rip straight in and, and go through the list and see who we think is going to make it and who's not? Let's do it. Okay, so first up, Liam O'Brien. Yeah, I think he's making the cut. All right, I don't think he's making the cut. You better have a bloody good reason, Mikey. <laughs> uh, I do. I think Liam strikes me as the type of surfer that needs to kind of come on and fail before he can succeed. I know he's like a really, obviously, incredible talent, and he's also a really like intellectual surfer, and I feel like he might come on and see this deadline of five events and overthink it a little bit. I know he's already had success in the CT. He made the semis at Rotnest, um, but that's coming in as a wild card, and it's just a little bit different. I also know he got kind of a bit shaken down by Jeremy Flores at that event, so I wonder if that will have any psychological impact. And and I just think that he, he kind of like Ethan Ewing, like he came on and he was so good, but he just kind of didn't click that first time around. And I think that'll be Liam. I think he's going to not do great this time, and then he's going to come back on and be on tour for like 12 years or whatever. Oh, yeah, the shakedown really worked a treat all the way to a third. Must have been must have been shaking in his boots. I'm spewing that Jeremy's not on tour anymore. I wish he still was because it obviously worked pretty well for Liam there. Now, nah, look, I think, you know, for everything you said there, apart from that, you could be right, but I will give Liam the tip of the cap and that, 
I said earlier about who spent their time in Hawaii and who hasn't. And, you know, luckily for him being sponsored by Billabong, they've always offered him a bed there at the off the wall house. And I know he's used that to his uh, advantage. For sure, he's a little going to be a little bit light on out waves like Sunset. But I think he is good enough to ride a few barrels at pipeline or backdoor and get a little bit of confidence under his belt and, and okay. take it on a cool. bit of a roll from there. On to the next. Uh... Next cab off the rank, the young San Diego surfer, Jake Marshall. What do you reckon, Mikey? <laughs> you know, it is a bit of a, uh, a tough one because I think he's the first San Diego surfer to get on tour since Taylor Knox and Rob Machado in 93. Um, and I don't want to kind of rain on that parade, but I don't see Jake making the cut after five events. Oh, I'm right there with you. I think Jake's a lovely kid, and I think his surfing out Eva two years ago was incredible. Um, so I know he's got what it takes in the juice, uh, but I, I might lean on your kind of explanation there about what could potentially happen to Liam is that you might have to have a tough year before he really settles in because I think he's world tour quality, um, but I think five events might come and go too quick for, for young Jake. He strikes me as the kind of surfer that could catch fire through like a Europe leg, France and Portugal type of thing, but there's just not that leg there this year. So, oh, this is heartbreaking actually. I can't believe I'm actually saying this, but yeah. And, uh, outside for me too alright so number three Callum Robson this is actually way harder than I thought it was going to be can't believe I'm just crushing dreams straight off the bat uh, the one thing I would say about Callum is that he's got the mongrel in him but I don't know how much so I'm going to say outside okay interesting I'm going inside for Callum um, he strikes me as the kind of guy that, and I've never met him, so this is just really from like afar, but he just strikes me as the kind of guy that wouldn't be phased by anything, like in a physical sense or in a psychological sense. Like, I don't think he's scared of waves. I don't think he's scared of a big name on a heat draw. Um, I think that he's just going to go in there every day and do his job and not have all this head noise that I think somebody like me, Liam might have. And I think he's just going to make enough heats and he's just going to be right there. Oh, I, I think you, again, you have some very valid points. Uh, Callum strikes me as kind of a Morgan sibling type of character in that he knows what he needs to do and he does it more often than not. But yeah, we'll have to see how we go. Out of Maricias in Brazil, young Sammy Pupo, I'm going to say outside. I'm saying outside as well. Um, to me, incredible talent. Um, I think him and Mateus Hurdy are kind of in that same league of like just incredible aerialists, so much control over their boards, so much finesse, but I don't think that the front half of the tour suits Samuel. Um, I've never really seen him out at pipe before, and he's had some poor results out at Sunset, um, out at Bells, and I don't know if he has kind of that firepower. He's, he's a little bit on the light-footed side. I know he did really well at Haleiwa, which was really impressive. But at a wave like Sunset, which is just even deeper water, I don't know. Yeah, he's had some amazing results at Haleiwa before. And for me, he's a super exciting surfer. Got plenty of variety. Great young kid. Like, super exciting to watch. I just think, like I said earlier, this start to the year, it's a real gentleman's start to the season. I think you, you know... It's gonna suit. It's gonna suit the gentleman, yes. I believe. And uh, Sammy's um, a young 
young, um, you know, whippersnapper. young whippersnapper and absolutely electric. Um, but I'm not too sure that the start of this season suits electricity. Yep, agreed. All right, so on to number five, Emai Kalani Devault. What do you got? Yeah, in for me. I think he's going to make the cut. Yep, this one's pretty easy for me. Um, I guess my only hang-up is, like, just how competitive is he? He doesn't strike me as somebody who is, but I guess neither would John John at first glance. Maybe it's just this kind of internal thing that he feels and doesn't express outwardly. But he just always, I mean, from how I've seen him interact in a lineup physically and then also how he surfs a wave and how it looks like he's just like kind of doing it at his own pace and like not ever putting too much like pressure or anything into it. But maybe that's just like his style, you know, and and I think if he gets on the right way, if he's going to put up huge scores without even looking like he's trying. Yeah, I agree. I think that um, it's one of those things where outwardly he, he might not be competitive, but, you know, if you're rolling up to the U.S. Open every year for the last five years, which I've seen him do, there's a level of dedication and commitment in there that it might not be expressed like a Zeke Lau or, or someone that he would, might consider, you know, a role model or something like that. But I'm not sure that's going to matter too much. I think his his skill set is, is strong enough and particularly, again, pipeline into Sunset, it's going to be hard to go past the Hawaiians. Yep. And then Super Tubo, Spells, Margaret's. He's, he's a bigger dude. He loves bigger waves. He loves to just be able to lay a rail in. Two turns, he's getting a seven or an eight. Easy. So, yeah, that's a pretty easy pick for me. Cool. Then we're rolling down into Luca Messinas, the Prince of Peru. Um, look, I just straight up haven't seen enough of this guy in Hawaii. I know he's not worried about wave height. I think he absolutely charges. Uh, but I just don't see enough of him or big results of him at those two waves in either a QS or a CT in the past to, to have enough faith to, to vote him in. And I know I'm hanging a lot on the first two events of the year, but I think this start's so important when you're a rookie, so I'm, I'm going to say out. Yep, I would agree. Um, if the World Tour was reversed and all these waves were lefts, I would have him in there because his backside is ridiculously good coming from Peru. But um, he actually, he kind of strikes me like he has a bit of... Um, young sort of Jeremy Flores in his surfing but I don't know if he has the same like fire and x factor in that way if that makes sense he's like kind of like Jeremy but just without the anger <laughs> he just looks happy to be there and I don't think that's going to cut it all right so coming up to Joe Alcianca yeah I'm gonna say in I'm gonna say in as well what's your reasoning I think a great pickup by Volcom a couple of years ago, and he just maximised his opportunity, getting a bed on the North Shore there, right in front of backdoor pipe and off the wall. Um, I'll be very surprised if he doesn't get a finals day finished at Pipeline this season. Wow. Well, he's definitely fearless, and and I agree, it was a great pickup by Volcom because honestly, when I first saw Joel surf, it was like, oh, you know, it's. It's Lucas's little brother. Of course, he's going to get some attention. And, like, you could see that he had, like, the energy and he had the, the mindset. But, like, to me, his surfing was just a little bit kind of, like, rough. And he's really come a long way. He's gotten a lot better. I still think that his style could use a bit of kind of refining and, you know, it kind of needs to smooth th- some things out a little bit. But he's gotten way, way better. And he, to me, same as uh, I kind of said about Callum, like he seems like somebody who's just going to go out there with like a great clear head every single time he goes out in a heat and just surf. 
like just pure surf, and I think that that's going to pay dividends. Bakehouse out of Merriweather and Newcastle, Jackson Baker. What do you what do you reckon of him? I'm going no. I felt like I had to choose between Callum and Jacko, and from what I've seen, I think that Callum can be a little bit more clutch than Jacko. So All right, well, I scorched Callum, so I'm going to back in Jacko. Um, I don't see a huge result out of young Jacko at the Bunzo pipeline. He could surprise me. However, his surfing is just custom-built for, you know, Sunset and Bells. It's just going to be a matter of whether or not he can hang in in between the ears. I thought he was a little underwhelming at his home event in Newcastle last year. Uh, so I'm hoping he can learn from that experience and come onto the CT and, and have those two events as his strength events and, uh, and, and really bring it home. Yep. Surfing is really good. I really love his surfing. But at the end of the day, there's only a certain amount of spots. Somebody's got to get clipped. So sorry, Jacko. All right, and last but not least, Carlos. I think that it is going to be a game of mental attrition for Carlos, and I'm interested to see how that goes. So I'm I'm skeptical, Mikey. <laughs> oh, you don't want to say it in front of me, huh? Um, I I do actually agree with that because <laughs> this is extremely awkward. <laughs> well, no, I mean what you said, I I agree with. I think for Carlos, it's not physical i think his surfing is so strong in every category like turns airs barrels like he's gotten tens out of pipeline yeah he's an incredible surfer and he has some of the best surfing instincts of anyone that i've ever surfed with just like his ability to like read a lineup and stuff is incredible but again it comes down to at the end of the day making it through a heat is it's a lot about surfing but it's a lot about how you maneuver you know the pieces in the chessboard so I really hope that he can get that side of his surfing fi- figured out by the time that he gets going. And if he does, he's making it all day. So I'm going to say yes. I'm going to have a little it. bit of faith that in was, um That was way harder than I thought it was going to be, um, especially moving over to the, the women now. Um, so we've, we're warmed up. We're, we're good. Uh, we've, made our, we've made our cullings and our, our, we've put our team in. Um, but, yeah. I think we both did, what, like four, four yeah, in five Yeah, I think out. I was pretty pretty happy to drop the axe on a few which felt bad because got yeah good relationships and think that they're great kids with with most of these guys but the two is fucking hard really really challenging so yeah i'd be happy to be upset let's put it that way i mean did you see the list of people who fell off tour last year julian oh, michelle Perez, ace bucking yeah. jack freestyle like it's just wild it's wild, yeah. Owen Wright yeah. wouldn't have made no, it if it weren't for a wild card. You know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah, it's, it's not easy. No. Well, he technically didn't make it. Yeah. You know, like, if one of these kids, like a Callum or a Sammy, got to 24th, there's no way they're getting the wild card for next year. All right. Well, that's the men sorted. Now, um, what about the women? We've got five rookies on the women's side. Four of them are teenagers. And as you said before, you think that the, the venues kind of suit more of that older power generation of surfers so let's see who do we think is in and out first up gabrielle o'brien what do you got i think that she has an incredible power game so i'm gonna say yes i think she's gonna go inside that top 12 i'm gonna have to agree um after watching what she did on the challenger series this year making three finals and four events and just looking so solid on her surfboard like she's just so planted and powerful um she also grew up in hawaii 
I don't know how much experience she has at pipe per se, but I would imagine that it's on par with, if not a little bit better than kind of the average female C tier. And I think at sunset she'll do great. I think she could do really well at Bells, Margaret's. Uh, yeah, I think that she's just going to be consistent and get the results that she needs and crack into that top. Yeah, level. I definitely think the the first five events suit her style of surfing. Moving on down to the teenage sensation. Well, I guess all of them are pretty much teenagers except India Robinson. But uh, certainly one of the uh, fan favorites coming on, Betty Lou Sakura Johnson. What are you thinking, Mikey? Betty Lou's a superstar. Um, superstars come onto the tour hot, and they stay there for a long time. And I think that's Betty. So I'm saying 100%. For sure. I think that, um, like what you mentioned earlier about some of the, the gentlemen and, and how their their mindsets seem kind of unflappable, she just seems so relaxed and so sure of herself that um, I think, yeah, starting in Hawaii is going to be massive for her. And I think she's going to make the most of it and, and go on to a couple of big results for sure. So I'm going to say... Yeah, I, I'd go so far as to say that I think she'll be within the top seven in the first half of the year. And she could... I mean, if she puts some, some things together and connects the dots, I think she could potentially find herself in a top five thing by the end of the year. She's just so good. And to me, she's like the future world champion of this generation. Yeah, I'd have to agree with you for sure. I think it's probably a few years in the making from my perspective, but she's definitely got all the right attributes to become a world champ. All right. Well, moving right on. Next, we have India Robinson. I definitely think a wave like Sunset is going to suit her for sure. Um, she's a Bells local, but I'm just not sure. I'm just something about... I'm just not sure that I can see her being super strong across all the five events. So it does break my heart as an Aussie to, to be so harsh with the, the axe swinging, but I'm going to say out for India Robinson. Yeah, unfortunately I have to agree. And I love her surfing. I didn't even know who she was until this year on the Challenger series, but the amount of power that she brings like really caught my eye. That said, at the end of the day, this is a numbers game, right? And you can be a great surfer all you want, but if you're not within that top 12 after five events, you're not going to make the cut, and it's just going to be tough. And I think that one of the people who's going to get cut might be India. Luana Silva, another young teenager out of Hawaii. What do you think, Mikey? <sighs> Again, strong surfer. I just, the way that the tour works out, I mean, you look at, you know, the women that are on there right now, I just, I don't know. I don't see her in her rookie year overcoming, you know, the likes of even the bottom end of the women's tour from this year, you know, the, the Courtney Conlogs, the Malia Manuels. Like, I just think that they have the experience. I think that they have probably even a little bit of power over her. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's, it's a big game to come on and, and just crack that, that sort of top two thirds of the tour right in the beginning. And yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't quite see it for Luana this time around. Yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you. I think um, maybe like lacking a little bit of variety there. She's got an amazing frontside swoop and um, certainly a quality surfer. When she won that event in Portugal, she was absolutely on fire. Um, but, yeah, I'm just not too sure that she's going to be able to bump out one of those higher-ranked women, like you said. Yep. All right, so next up we have Molly Picklum taking Katie Simmer's spot, but... Um, I definitely don't think it is any sort of like loss of talent in that uh, in that swap. 
one in, one out for Red Bull. They're stoked. Uh, yeah, look, I think Molly's been, you know, traveling with Micro for a few years now on the tour, and I think just being around CTs, I think we saw that from a lot of the young men, you know, I think Kolohe is a great example of that, and um, John John, and you just being around those events just counts for so much. I don't think Molly will rock up to her first event and feel like uh, a rookie, if that makes sense. I mean, for sure, by n- name she is, but I don't think by nature she's she's certainly developing into a CT quality surfer. And um, I initially thought, you know, once she didn't make it, I thought that would be a blessing in disguise. Um, but similar to Jacko Baker, I'm kind of hoping that that feeling of potentially, you know, quote unquote, kind of blowing it, <laughs> uh, Halle Eva, they both had opportunities that they probably didn't serve to their full potential. Um, but now getting that chance, I just hope she can surf kind of free of any kind of expectation and, and, and really just show everyone what kind of surfing she's got. So I'm going to say in. All right. Um, going to disagree with you here. I think that uh, Molly might suffer from kind of that Liam O'Brien, Samuel Pupo thing where they are incredibly talented and incredibly technically gifted, but I don't know if that's going to necessarily suit these first three waves that we get. So I think she might find herself struggling a little bit. If it was more like last year's tour where, you know, they had some beach breaks in the beginning, I think she'd, she'd do pretty well. With the way it's looking right now, I think she might find a little bit of trouble in the face of, you know, a Courtney Conlog type figure. So, yeah. No, definitely. Um, I don't disagree with you. I think it's going to be challenging for her, but I think she can overcome it. But like what you mentioned earlier about where these young women could potentially find themselves if they do get a run of results, let's just quickly read out 6 through to 10 from last year. 6 was Caroline Marks. Seven was Lakey Peterson. Eight was Tyler Wright. Well, Lakey didn't surf, so that must be her wildcard spot. But eight was Tyler Wright. Nine was Isabella Nichols. And ten was Courtney Conalog. So in amongst that, you've got so many, you know, defending event champions and, and people that are just so suited to the start of this year that if any of these young women want to take over, they're going to have to do it straight away. And... uh this could be the time that new generation does shake Yeah, I mean, up. we saw, you know, Gabrielle Bryan and Betty Lou both beat Carissa in the Haliva final. That had to do so much for them. I mean, if they can beat Carissa, they can beat anyone, right? And they're basically, from what you said, that, that 6 to 10 slot is so strong. There are only two spots above that that are available to make on the cut line. So it's basically, in my eyes, who are the two that are going to get in there? And to me, it's Betty Lou and Gabby. To you, there's three. So to you, one of those women that you listed is basically going to get chopped by one of the three rookies. So it's going to be interesting to see how it pans out. Um, Of course, we're always right in these things. Yeah, it's probably worth placing a lot of money in everything that Stace and I say. (laughs) Oh, that was actually pretty hard to to wield the axe, but also, yeah, a bit of good fun. And, yeah, really looking forward to the season starting up now. So you mentioned some changes earlier. Uh, what, what have we swapped? Oh, I forgot out? to mention. You're right. Sorry. I, uh, I was just thinking back to my conversation with Buck that you'd already heard all this. So the lower slot on the CT is now going to be, drum roll please, El Salvador. Do you want me to 
Oh, yeah, cool. just a random right point break in there that's not Barra de la Cruz. Wow, so El Salvador in June and Trestles in the finals. Maybe once I digest this and uh, think it over a bit more, I'll, I'll get a bit more excited. But yeah, certainly feels like a bit of a rinse and repeat. <laughs> All right, well, that's it for now. Uh, next week, we're going to do, I think, a bit of a pipe preview. It's going to be rolling into that event really, really soon. The waves have been firing out here. I really hope it continues. Um, and I have some kind of like fun little tidbits that I, I'm excited to talk with you about, about some of the stuff that I've seen from CTers, future CTers, rookies, and, and everything out there over the past few weeks. I'm looking forward to hearing all about it. You've gone full gonzo and just inserted yourself in the lineup. So I'm sure you've got all the latest uh, and greatest news to share. I sure hope so. Um, Well, I guess we'll have to see. Until next week, this has been the Stab Cusp over and out. All right, and that is it for the drop and the cusp and other sort of four-letter podcast things that we do here at Stab. I'm Michael Saramella. Uh, I hope and pray that Danny will be back next week. Um, I think he will. I think that he's... He's finally managing to, to get out of that general Tonga area. And, yeah, that's been This Week in Surfing. So until next time, we're out.